Hey, as I'm sure uh, most of you know, uh, we started a series in Habakkuk um, last week, and so we're going we're gonna to jump in. You all excited to get in the Word again tonight? All right. Um, yeah, let's, I want to do a quick, just, um, well, first, let's review this. The three main reasons why we're studying the book of Habakkuk. Um, one is that uh, to learn the right uh, pronunciation of the book of the Bible. Those of you who pronounce it Habakkuk, I'm sure are on your path to repentance and finding the right way to pronounce it. Um, but number one being is that we see the character of God. Last week we really honed in on him being a judge, one of justice and one of mercy. Um, two, we see the power and purpose in lamenting where we're going to put our sole focus tonight, our main focus tonight actually. And then we see the gospel in it for sure. And so we saw Jesus in it. In Habakkuk 2.4, we see the words that we're more familiar with in Romans 1.17, where it says the just will live by their faith. And so we saw 600 years prior to Christ, Habakkuk, God saying, hey, look to what is coming in Jesus Christ. So amen to that. But let me, let us just, uh, I just want to catch up for those that missed last week or a reminder for those that were here last week on what we looked at. So in Habakkuk, we we, we understood that there was 12 tribes in Israel that were separated, the 10 in the north and then the two in the south being the kingdom, uh, a kingdom that was um, uh, the, the kingdom of Judah, right? And we have the prophet Habakkuk speaking specifically to this kingdom of Judah who witnessed the annihilation and the exile of the, southern, or the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And we see him posing these questions at the very beginning of Habakkuk to God. Uh, the first one being, what is it that you're going to do about the injustice that we see amongst the people in the kingdom of Judah? So the southern kingdom, right? Again, we see in uh, chapter 1, we, he, we see that he uses these words about Judah, the kingdom of Judah, violence, injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, strife, conflict, laws paralyzed, justice never prevails, wicked, hemming the righteous, justice is perverted. Again, these words describe the southern kingdom of Judah. And he says, what are you going to do about it, God? And he says, I'm going to use the empire of the Babylonians, which is the equivalent to ISIS, to bring about judgment upon my people, God's chosen people. And then he gets frustrated that this, this remedy is worse than the condition, right? And he says, well, what are you going to do about the wider evil? This is the second question he posed. Why do you tolerate evil? And we see emphatically God says, I don't. And we focused in on those five woes saying there will be a finality, there will be an end to this evil, this sin, this depravity that is seen in the world. Not just with what's going to happen to the Babylonian Empire, but more importantly, what comes with the messianic kingdom when Christ returns. That all this evil, destruction, sin will be brought to an end. It will be stopped, is what he said, and praise the Lord for that, amen. And then we see, rewind a little bit, remember we took again a look at at the very beginning of those woes in Habakkuk 2.4, he says the just will live by their faith. And so that is the first thing that he wanted Habakkuk and the people of the kingdom of Judah to know, that, the, king, that the, the, the righteous will live by their faith. Again, pointing to the gospel. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. So here is where we pick up. This, so that was hopefully a good reminder of what we took a look at this week. And so, or last week. And this week, I really want to focus in on what it looks like to lament. And lament is essentially a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And we see uh, lamentation take place throughout the Bible a lot. Obviously, in the book of Lamentations, it's almost like a funeral song that we see. We see it in about every single prophet, minor prophet, and we see a ton of 
lamentations in the Psalms. But life hits hard oftentimes, right? It hits hard. Um, and I remember the first time it really hit me hard. I had a realization that life hits hard. I was, uh, so, Brandon, I don't know if you did this in, when you went to Jonathan Alder. So I grew up in Plain City, went to Jonathan Alder School District. And in um, elementary school, so first through sixth grade, uh, we had what was called the declamation contest. And so did you do this? Where everyone was forced to memorize a poem, you had to recite it in front of your class and put motions to it. So then there was three finalists from each grade that would go before the whole elementary um, um, classes. So uh, first through sixth grade, right? And I actually, I, I was like all into this. I think it's because my parents forced me to be all into it, but I was all into it. And um, I remember in first grade, I slayed it. I cannot remember the poem I, I, rem- I, I recited, but I just killed it and I actually won it in first grade. So I had this high expectation. Yeah, amen to that. Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> Um, no, I, I don't remember that one. I wish I did. Um, but then, sadly, second through fifth grade, I got beat out by Nathan Worshman every single year. I hated that kid. And I remember, and I'm, actually, one year I didn't even make it because I fumbled through my lines. I didn't make it to the final three. Um, and I was like one of the favorites, you know, going into it. So it was very disappointing. But life hit me hard when I did not. I actually, I remember in second grade, I came back crying because I came in second place. Life hit me hard. But I had true redemption in sixth grade when I memorized one of the longest poems, well, it was the longest poem ever memorized, Rolling Harvey Down the Hill by Jack Prelutsky. Anyone know that? Dang it. Well, anyways, um, it had this, what I'll refer to as the chorus, right, where it had this part that you would come to every, you came to about five or six times in the poem. And I remember this very vividly, where simply put, so the premise of Rolling Harvey Down the Hill was about this bully, Harvey. And how this then group of friends that were being bullied by him then gained up on Harvey. And it came to this chorus every single time where it said, See him rolling, rolling, rolling. See him rolling down the hill all the way from top to bottom. We rolled Harvey down the hill. By the time I was saying that the last time, I had the whole elementary class chanting it with me. I literally was taken out, like being carried out of the gymnasium because I won triumphantly. Um, and so there was definitely redemption. And plus, I had a little bit of favor with the ladies that, yeah, that year. So that was good. That was good. So praise the Lord. Um, but life hits, right? It hits hard. And oftentimes, it's unexpectedly and inexplicably. And oftentimes, we're faced with experiences, stories, statistics that are just filled with a ton of hurt, pain, injustice. And really, there's no, way, there's no other way of putting it, just, just crap hits, right? It just hits, and it hits hard. This oftentimes produces a complex mix of emotions that usually bring about confusion and curiosity. Where we oftentimes, like Habakkuk, are asking, why, God? Where are you at? And what are you going to do about it? But also, it brings such emotional intensity frequently that it leads to loss of words or something, sometimes worse, an embarrassment of how you feel. And that you don't feel safe enough to be honest before others, and more importantly, God. Because you feel, whether it be selfish, you may feel like you have a lack of faith. Um, And it could be a myriad of other reasons why you feel embarrassed to come before God with your hurts and your feelings and your emotions. And oftentimes, we try to act as if we have it all together. And we try to handle life in solidarity. And this is where the enemy has his heyday. 
And more than anything, God loves it when we're in this moment of weakness, where we realize we can't do it on our own, and we need someone other than ourselves. Ultimately, we need him. But we fail, I think, way too often to come before him in a moment of, lament, in a moment of lamenting, allowing him to speak to our hurts and emotions and pains and all the questions that we may have. And oftentimes, um, I, feel, I feel like the psalmist in Psalm 55, we have this up on the screen, in Psalm, on the screen in Psalm 55, I love these words, verses two through, two through five here. It says, my thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. Because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Oftentimes, this is what I'm facing when life hits hard. My thoughts are troubled. I am distraught. Suffering is on me, and it assails me. My heart is in anguish. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I become so involved with this hard moment that is in front of me that it overwhelms my life. And oftentimes, I am consumed by these two things, my worry within it. I cannot stop thinking about it, which oftentimes then leads me to think that I have to work it out on my own. And so this issue... This, this thing that has hit me so hard, life, how it has hit me, it feels as if it is so big, so intrusive, so loud, that my, my ears are deaf to the voice of the Lord, and I can't see him because all I see in front of me is this situation. So when life hits hard, I am deaf to the voice of the Lord, and I fail to see him and all that he is. It's as if I am at the foot of this towering and deafening uh, waterfall. That's all I can see. That's all I can hear. When life hits, this is oftentimes how I feel. And I'm sure a lot of us can resonate with that. But man, there is so much grace from the Lord in moments like this. There is so much grace. And he wants us to experience his grace in moments like this. And I envision that when... When life hits me and, and I'm so focused on the worry and the distractions and what it is that I have to do to get through it or to accomplish it or to answer all these tough questions I have, I just, I envision God there. He's as if he's on one knee saying, come to me. Come to me, I am here. You know, in my experience with working with kids uh, with troubled past and with, uh, when, when life has hit them hard, um, essentially trauma, I've learned that one of the best things that you can do when moments when the hard moments hits these kids is to actually just to hold them all the way up to age 18 as if they're an infant so that they can experience your touch, your, your, your contact, your eye contact, a connectedness, intimacy, and more than anything else, that child that you are, you are holding wants to know that their voice matters, that they want to be heard. And this is what I envision. When we hit these hard moments, when we're asking the questions why, when we're lamenting the evil, the sin, the depravity that is before us, when we're filled with worry and anxiety, all he is doing is sitting on his knee saying, come to me, I am here. And he wants to hold us. But we do, I think, have an opportunity to play a significant role in this moment. 
when we experience the connectedness of Jesus Christ. And, the, and I wanna, I'm going to highlight six, six key principles of, of lamentation that we see in the book of Habakkuk. So turn with me to Habakkuk. You're going to want to jump around here with me. So again, Habakkuk is a great book where we can, we can learn some key principles on how to lament. Again, we see this in, in a lot of other books of the Bible, all the prophets, the Psalms. You see it in the New Testament as well. But I want to focus in, and these, the six principles that we're focusing on, you may not see them in all of the, the Psalms or the other prophets, but as you look at all of them, these are the six key principles that you see time and time again. They just so happen to be in, all six of them in the book of Habakkuk, which I think is really cool. So six key principles of lamentation. <clears throat> Number one, we need to address God directly. We see this in chapter 1, verse 2, and verse 12. In verse, in verse 2, it says, how long, Lord? So he addresses him directly. If you jump to verse 12, it says, Lord, you are not from everlasting. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. My Lord, you have appointed them. So he addresses them. He addresses God directly. And underneath that, oftentimes you see a declaration of God's character. Again, in verse 12, you see this. My Holy One, you never die. And it goes on to, he goes on to call him, you, again, Lord, my rock. I think it's very important in moments of lamentation, you address who it is that you've experienced him to be. Whether it is Father or full of grace and mercy, a God who is full of justice, my rock, my salvation, whatever it is, address God directly. Number two, we see here a key principle is the complaint and or burden. In verses two through three and in 13, again, so the, uh, the complaint or bur burden, it says, How long must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you violence? Why do you make me look at injustice? So he, again, he expresses the complaint or burden. And then again in verse 13, it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. It says, Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Why the wicked? And so let us not hold back what it is we really feel. And let us come before him with that complaint or burden. He can handle it. And he wants to handle it. Number three, a, conf a confession of sin or a claim of innocence. We won't see the claim of innocence here, but you see David do this uh, just so much in his lamentations found in the Psalms. Is this claim of innocence. But here we see a confession of sin. And really it's at the beginning. Again, he is, he is professing, he is confessing the sin of the people of, of Judah the kingdom of Judah. We see that in verses two through four. Again, all those descriptive uh, words. Number four, a request for help. Again, in verse two, it says, how long must I call for help? So we know that he has been crying out for help. What are you going to do about this, God? He's asking him. Uh, uh, verse one in chapter two, it says, I will stand in my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to, I am to give to his complaint. Again, there's a request for help. I need your answer. So again, to be real and authentic there. Number five is a review of God's faithfulness in the past. And so oftentimes in these lamentations, you'll see that it's, it's not just a single moment, but it's a dialogue with God over the course of time. 
And this is what we see here as we come to point five, is that he's had these, it's been a conversation with God. It's been ongoing. And then after God responds, after he hears his voice, he reviews God's faithfulness in the past. And this is pretty much all of chapter three, starting in verse two. I just want to read verse two because it kind of gives you a snapshot of what is to come in the rest of chapter three. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day and our time. Make them known in wrath, remember mercy. And then he goes on to recount the faithfulness of God to the, king, to the kingdom of Jerusalem, the people, the, the Israelite people. And so how have you encountered God's faithfulness? Remind yourself of that. And may you find great confidence in that. Not in the circumstances before you, not in the questions that you may have, not in the sin, the evil depravity, but the faithfulness of God. And if you take a moment to do that, I promise you, you'll be overwhelmed at what it is he wants to reveal to you. How he's been faithful in your life, through your life, and around your life. Point number six, the sixth principle, a vow to praise and or a statement of trust in God. Again, chapter three, verse 18 through 19. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Here again we see a praise, a statement of faith. When, may, when we, may we not fail to be worshipers of who he is. Maybe one of the most important things that we can do when we face worry is to worship. And we're going to dive into that with a little more depth next week. So again, the six principles, number one, to address God directly, and oftentimes a declaration of God's character. Two, the complaint and or burden. Three, a confession of sin or claim of innocence. Four, a request for help. Five, a review of God's faithfulness in the past. Six, a vow to praise and or a statement of trust in God. Now, when you go through, and I, 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 I man, I highly encourage you to journal this lamentation that you have before God. And it'll bring focus, it'll bring intentionality to it. And here's the thing, it does not have to go in this order. When you look at other lamentations, again, found in the Psalms and in the prophets, oftentimes it's not in this order, it's jumbled. And it's back and forth. There's moments of complaints and arguing and frustration. And then you see David go to praise, and then he goes to frustration again and his complaints. And so it can be a fluid thing. But if you focus on these six things in lamentation, it'll bring a level of intimacy that you may be missing out with God. I want to, I just want to give you homework. Over this next week, I want you to look at these three Psalms, 12, 12 and 13 together. So read Psalm 12, 13, and Psalm 55. There's many other Psalms that have lamentations in it, but I love these two. So 12 and 13 and 55. And just highlight these six things in them and allow that, again, to guide your time of lamenting with God. May it be a very personal and intimate time. May you be real and authentic. And I'll tell you one thing. I don't know if you remember, I sp- about five weeks ago, I, I, I spoke about when we face burdens in the midst of service unto the Lord. And I talked about this, the, the prayer of burden, the prayer of release. Lamentation, knowing how to lament, complements the prayer of burden, the prayer of release very well. So if you're in a season, if you're in a moment when, again, life has hit you hard, I would highly encourage you to tackle these two disciplines. We just went through um, the hidden, hidden disciplines, the forgotten disciplines previous to this one. This is one that could have been included, knowing how to lament. I would actually venture to guess that there's actually very few of us that have tackled this discipline with great regularity. 
But I promise that when we engage with the Lord in this way, you'll, you'll, you'll experience intimacy in ways that you, have never yet, that you have yet to experience with God. So go through Psalm 12 and 13 and 55. I encourage you to do that. But in Habakkuk, we see a key mindset to have when we lament. Again, we see just true authenticity, just a level of genuineness amongst him in the first chapter, right? And so we see honesty. And the second one is humility. And we see this in verse 1, chapter 2. Let me read this again. It says, I will stand at my watch. So he's brought all of his complaints, his burdens, his frustrations, his questions before the Lord. And he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself and station myself on the rampart. So on a watchtower is what that means. I will look to see what he says. Look being a key word. I will look to see what he says. And what answer I am to give to the kingdom of Judah about this complaint I bring up. And we see this picture of a watchtower where there's two other prophets took the same posture, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They want to take a posture before God in honesty and humility, coming before him, looking for him, looking to him for answers, looking for themselves to receive revelation from the Lord. But we need to put in the hard work of lamenting. We need to put in the hard work of lamenting. It's not a quick and easy thing. It takes work. We have been, I think, so conformed to the patterns of this world that we want immediacy so much. Everything comes immediately to us. Microwaves, fast food, TVs, Netflix, the list can go on and on and on. And we as the church need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we need to put in the hard work of disciplines. We can't think a relation with the Lord, relationship with the Lord comes easy. That it's just a checklist of things that you do. That it's just five minutes here and there. Sometimes it takes a lot of time and a lot of work. We need to put in the work. I think way too often we're like, yeah, we've all done this as teenagers, right? When you're 12, 13, 14, you go to pull that prank on your friend, right? At night, midnight, right? You go and knock on, your, on the door and you run away. And the person answers the door and no one's there. I think we treat God like that in a lot of ways. We come to him with all these questions and concerns and complaints and burdens. And then we leave. We jet. We do not turn our ear to the Lord. We do not post ourselves up on the watchtower to look for what it is that he's going to say to us. And we come up, we, after we have all these questions and, and concerns and all these burdens, we're, ask, we're asking why, but we're not listening. And we're frustrated that we're not hearing. We need to put in the work. So what, what does it look like to actively listen to God? I want to go through four key things here that we see simply um, in Habakkuk, a lot here in verse 1. Number one, much like Habakkuk here, we need to get away from distractions and attempt to listen. Me, I love doing walks in the woods. I go to Jeffrey Park a lot. I go to other places where I just need to get away from all the distractions. Don't bring my phone. And I come before him in prayer and in listening. Where is that place for you where you can get away from distractions and attempt to listen to God? Number two, to look to the word. We need to claim promises in scripture and learn from it. 
We, knew, we know Matthew 11, 28, and 30 very well. We've heard this a lot. Come, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened and weary, and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, he's saying, take my teachings upon you. So what he's saying is that I need you and I want you to look into the word. This is what it looks like to take on the yoke, to yoke yourself with Christ, to walk with him. It's not just you asking for him to come alongside of you, but let's dig into the word and look at his teachings and see what it is that he has to say. Let us do the work there. Number three is we need to seek wise counsel. We need to seek truth in healthy, God-fearing community. Just look at Proverbs. Proverbs is littered with this. Seek wise counsel. When you have these questions, when you, when you hit these hard times, when you're burdened and overwhelmed, when you're lamenting, seek the counsel of those that are wise. But here's what I want to encourage you. Seek God first, then seek others. And those that are being sought out, uh, sought, those that are seeking you out for wise counsel, I want to encourage you with this. Err on the side of speaking scripture into their life. We are not adequate enough to drum up what it is that they need to know but the word of God is. And that is why we, that, that is even more reason to be inundated with the word. I love how 1 Peter 4.10, it says, if anyone speaks, 4, I think it's 11, he says, if anyone speaks, you should speak the very words of God. I mean, we need to hide God's word in our heart so that when we have these people coming to us with wise counsel, it's just not the mutterings of what it is that we can come up with in the moment, but it's what's found in scripture. Number four, Again, we're going to take a, a, a very deep look at this next week is worship. We know Philippians 4, 4, 9, 4 through 9 very well where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And this God of peace, he'll guard your heart, right? But then it goes on to say, here's what you need to do. Think about such things. And ultimately, what we are being exhorted to do is to worship. In these moments of anxiety, of worry, when life hits heart, you know what he wants us to do is worship. And again, we're going to take a look at that in great depth next week. So again, four things, how to actively listen to God in these moments where we are asking these questions, when life has hit hard, get away, look to the word, seek wise counsel and worship. We see Habakkuk do it well. Let's imitate what it is we see there. When we do this, I believe we just have so much to gain. And allow me to share a story. Um, And it's, um, it, do, it doesn't do uh, the perfect job of communicating what it is that I want to communicate in it, but I think it'll help paint a, a pretty good picture. Um, because through this, through this incident, I, th- I felt like I have a greater understanding of, what, of who God the Father wants to be to me when this trauma hits, when hard times um, hit our lives. Um, a couple months ago... Um, uh, yeah, so we were having a party at my house, invited a lot of friends over, we we're going to have a bonfire, and um, uh, it had rained all day, and so we had a lot of wet wood, right, and so there was me, my son Decker, and another friend that was over trying to get the, the fire started, and I just made a really stupid mistake, completely stupid. I thought it'd be a good idea to throw gas on the fire to try to get it going, and unfortunately, um, and I even asked my son to step back. I threw the gasoline on it, and it literally jumped directly towards my son. And he, I'm not making this up. He, he was engulfed in flames. And I actually had to, I had to jump on him, dive, and roll uh, to get the fire out. And unfortunately, he, um, 
he suffered second-degree burns, um, a lot on his neck, some on his face, chest, uh, and other areas. Every single hair on his head was singed. It's amazing that he did not have any burns, significant burns on his scalp. So praise the Lord that I think, I, I believe that the Lord preserved him from worse. Um, but what was really hard is to see Decker's reaction to it. And this is where it doesn't compare perfectly to our relationship with God, because God doesn't make mistakes. I effed up. I made a, a huge mistake. And I was very negligent. It was stupid, and I felt horrible. But um, driving Decker to the hospital and just seeing the anxiety they had, knowing that he had to go to the hospital was just horrific. That in itself was hard. Um, And in that moment, I saw that he was starting to distance himself from me. I was sitting in the back with him. And um, so the doctors address all of his wounds, do all that is needed, and it came to a moment where it was just me and Decker. And um, I asked if I could talk to him. And uh, I asked for him to look me in the eye, and he could not. And I could tell that he was very upset and burdened by what had happened, was frustrated with me. And I went to uh, go on to just ask for his forgiveness. Again, he could not look me in the eye. He could not forgive me. And this is not Decker's MO. He is, when I want his attention, when I want to talk to him, even when he's in trouble, it does not take anything for Decker to look me in the eyes and engage with me. So I knew he was mad and frustrated with me. And so that was hard. It was really hard. Uh, probably my worst moment as a parent. And it was my worst moment as a parent. And um, so I, I stayed the night with Decker. Uh, he let me sleep with him in the, in the, in the small bed with him. Uh, we woke up. And every, so it's been a, it was a blessing. And it's been a blessing and a curse for me to know all that I know about trauma and when it hits kids. And uh, what was interesting is that um, as I talked to people, as I reached out to people for just prayer, um, I'm not making this up. And I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to comfort me. Every single one of them said, don't worry, Decker, or forget about it. I knew he wouldn't. Everything I know about trauma, he wouldn't. He will not. He may not be able to put it into words, but his brain knows it. And his brain knows that his papa, one of the safest people on planet Earth to him, goofed up and made a mistake. And I just knew that during the night, I just knew that what the Lord was wanting me to do is to actually for him to not forget this moment based upon how I respond to this situation. I had a responsibility in this moment to Decker um, and to help him be able to handle it in a way that was healing for him. So um, what was very interesting is leading up to this time for about two, three months, uh, this vernacular is in our house a lot. Decker, this is a safe place. Jalea, this is a safe place. Mama and Papa are here to keep you safe. And so this is common language we use in our home. And what was interesting is leading up to this event, for about two or three months, Decker, every single, every single night before I put him to bed, before he leaves, he says, am I safe tonight, Papa? Will you keep me safe? Every single night. I'm not making it up. And so reflecting on that obviously didn't make me feel any better. But I realized that's where I needed to go with Decker. And so I woke up with Decker. And, um, again, everything that I know about handling traumatic situations, I just asked him to recount the event. And I asked him to look me in the eyes, he's, and he's beginning to engage with me. And he's being really honest and authentic with me, and he's recounting what he did. And so then I asked him to say, how did you feel about it? And he expresses all of his hard feelings, and even his feelings that were directed towards me, which was hard, but I knew that I needed to handle it and receive it and to hear it. And I acknowledged it, and I was able to tell him that, Hey, Decker, you know how over the past two, three months you've been asking a lot if Papa would keep you safe. I just want to let you know that I failed and I failed miserably. 
I did not make a decision that led to your safety. And the whole time, Decker is locked with me. And it came to a point where I said, Decker, will you forgive me? I said, yeah, Pop, I forgive you. And it was a huge moment, not for me, but for Decker. And it's a moment that Decker will never forget. Because he had, an, and I say this humbly, he had a dad that was willing to receive and hear and accept all of his hard feelings and emotions. This is the father that we get to, that we get to serve, that we are the children of. He wants to hear our hard and big emotions. He's not thrown off by him. He's not taken aback. He's not disappointed in us. Rather, he wants to hear them. He wants, to come, he wants us to come before him honestly, authentic, authentically, with so much genuine just feelings and emotions so that he knows how to address them with us in a very intimate and personal way. Uh, Christine Kimball, you can come on up. We desperately need to allow God the opportunity to be the loving, loving and perfect father he is in moments of hurt, pain, confusion, and frustration. And I believe one of the greatest ways we can do this is through authentic lamentation. I think here's when I, when I study the text and where you see a lot of these prophets coming before the Lord with just lamenting, with all these hard feelings, big emotions, this is what I see God do time and time again, and this is what we benefit from doing it. Again, we get, we get to have God the Father address these, these big emotions, but he does it in a very specific way. He always does this. He reminds us of who he is. What, he's done, what he has done, and what he will do. Every single time in the Lamentations and the Prophets, we see this. Who God is, what he's done, and what he will do. We'll gain a lot of other great things from lamenting before God that we could spend hours talking about. But I think what we need to know in Habakkuk more than anything else is this specifically how God addresses Habakkuk in this lamentation. Here's what I want you to know. Who I am, what I've done, and what I will do. For he who has promised is faithful. Amen to that. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you are a loving father that can handle these big hurts and pains and emotions. Lord, I thank you that you are the safest place that we can go to. Lord, and I pray that as we discipline ourselves in this way where we can come before you very raw and very real, that we will truly experience a level of intimacy and connectedness that we never had before. May we experience you in a new way. And so, Lord, in a weird way, I thank you for these hurts, these pains. I thank you for when life hits hard. Lord, I thank you that we can come before you with these questions because there's this incredible moment that we can experience with you, and I, I praise you for that. I praise you. May we be a church that learns how to lament. May we be a church that disciplines ourselves in this way. And Lord, I pray that, again, as we do this, we would just understand more of your great love for us in ways that we never have before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.